Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this day. We thank you for the freedom we have to come here this morning, to assemble together. Lord, we know that uh, many of our freedoms were worked hard for. And Lord, we appreciate those things. Lord, I would add to that, Lord, just the freedom that we have to even pray to the God of the universe. And we think of the one who died to give us that freedom, but then rose again. Lord, I just ask that you would bless us this morning as we contemplate who you are and all that you've done for us. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so we're ready for question 32. Um, I don't have control yet. There we go. Um, what do justification and sanctification mean? Who's heard these words? Yeah? Those are Bible words, right? Have you seen those in the Bible? Yes, you have, right? Yeah, those are in the Bible. Um, I'm going to start off with a real... Well, first I'm going to give you the, the answer that our catechism gives. It says, Justi justification means our declared righteousness before God. Now, the reason why it says declared righteousness that's actually exactly what the word justify means in the Bible. When you see the word that's translated justify, it means to declare righteous. It's a legal term. It's a term that uh, I've, I, and this is one of those things I can think back years ago. I can remember a pastor telling me it's, it's the term that was used when a judge in the Roman world would make that final court decision. And even though they didn't have a gavel the way we did, we'd think about it as like the, when the gavel hits, I declare, boom, and when that gavel hits, that's how it is, okay? So justification is a legal term where we are declared legally righteous, okay? That's, that's nice, isn't it? <laughs> We've been talking about for a while, is there a single one of us that is righteous? Not one. Is there any of us that have even come close to earning our righteousness? Not even close. The fact that this word even exists in the context of Scripture coming from God is a glorious thing. Amen. You're dismissed. Let's... <laughs> Seriously, though, right? I mean, what, what greater thing is that? I mean, just the fact that there can be in the courtroom of the God of the universe, the judge of all things. Think about all the people that love to say, only God will judge. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Right? Only God will judge. It's funny. When they usually say that, what, what, are, what are they, what's the context of when they're usually saying that? I, I, don't think, I think most of the time that's not what it is. Okay, so I, I think I heard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You said you're doing something. What did you say? Yes, when you're being called out, and Joshua, when you're doing something really different. It, that's usually, in, my, in my experience, most of the time when people like to use that phrase, they, they use it in the context of like right in the middle. They're doing something they shouldn't be doing. And if you even hint that you might even think about, or even, I mean, I have to, sometimes all you got to do is give them a look. In fact, sometimes that's not even, in fact, they know that in advance. So they're like, I'm going to live this way, and I'm going to write it on my body. Only God will judge. So if anybody asks me about it, I'll be like, boom, only God will judge, right? And it's interesting about that because my, my comment is usually, 
in my head, if I don't say it out loud, is that ought to make you really afraid. Right? That ought to make you very, very afraid. <laughs> that, that, that is not a, only God judging is not a license to do what you want. Only God judging ought to be a motivation to say, well, I better straighten up. What, what are his demands on my life? What is his law for me? But there's this courtroom of God, and God is judged somehow, and we've been talking about this, so I think you all know the how and all these other things, but there is a moment when a person goes from legally in God's courtroom sinful to legally in God's courtroom, and it's a moment in time justified, right? Anybody, that when we talk about saved, the Bible talks about have been saved, we're being saved, we will be saved, the have been saved, this is where that justification falls into that we have been saved. That's one of the things that happens in that moment, that moment of salvation, righteous in the courtroom of God, okay? Justification means our declared righteousness before God made possible by Christ's death and resurrection for us. This next word, sanctification, the word sanctify in the Bible is, the word that's translated sanctify is also a word that's translated holy. If something is holy, to sanctify something is like the verb form of that, to holy something, right? And it really carries this idea of setting something apart, Right? Sanctifying it would be setting it apart for a specific purpose sometimes or a specific goal, right? As you're sanctifying something, you're setting it apart. Um, sanctification means our gradual growing righteousness made possible by the Spirit's work in us. So that's how the catechism defines it. I'm going to dig a little bit deeper. I have a couple of definitions, and any of the theological books I have that w wants to define these things, they all define them very, very similarly, okay? So I, I, do, I went with Wayne Grudem. I like Wayne Grudem's uh, theological book. Um, he says this, um, and you'll notice it's basically the same thing. Justification is an instantaneous legal act of God, right? And I thought this was interesting what he included in here, but a lot of them include this, in which he, and he gives two things. Number one, thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us, and, I'm glad it didn't end there, and declares us, there's that justifying element, declares us to be righteous in his sight. How, how quick do you think that all this happens? <laughs> right? And, and I, I mentioned uh, last week, was it last week I think it was? Then I, then I start, you, you, you wonder about in, in, in the scriptures, the order of these things. And I'm going to tell you, if you try to order them out, it'd be like trying to order things, put things in order on the head of a, a needle. Right? At some point we go. Our faith obviously plays a role in this, doesn't it? I think that faith is an interesting one because we could easily switch faith over to be a work, but faith is the opposite of a work. Faith is that thing that says, I can't do anything, right? It's that helplessness. I, can't, I cannot do anything for my righteousness. I like this definition, though. Justification is an instantaneous legal act of God. 
Okay, let's look at the one for sanctification. Um, which, by the way, I'm going to give you some scriptures. When we, where do we get this from? Um, I find it easier to define justification um, through the scriptures. Sanctification is a little bit more challenging for me to like actually like. You guys know how I am. I like to find the exact wording, or I don't feel satisfied. I'm like looking through the. I want to have it say it somewhere exactly. I don't like trying to imply things and and. Sometimes you have to do that, but I, I don't like that as much. If I could find it exactly, that's what I like. Um, but sanctification, I think this is a good one. I agree with it. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man. And I thought that was interesting. I, I chewed on that one for a little bit. But I think there's, there's legitimacy to it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Who's working? We both are, right? Um, sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Okay? I think that's a good definition. Uh, I'm going to read another one to you. I think I have this one up here. Um, just to show you there's some similarities, some differences. John Piper, as he talks about this, he says, Justification is the act of God by which he declares us to be just or righteous or perfect because by faith alone we have been united to Jesus Christ who is perfect who is just and who is righteous, right? He is all those things. We're united to Christ. We talked about imputation of righteousness. Paul's talked about that in one of these previous ones. This righteousness is imputed to us. Our sinfulness is imputed on him. That's why you hear Jesus on the cross. One of the final things he says is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That is the cry, I heard D.A. Carson call this, that is the cry of the damned. So that there's not a one of us that would ever need to say that, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, he bore the full wrath of the Father on himself and was legitimately, right, experienced forsaken by God. But he cried that cry so that we won't have to, when we die, say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? He goes on to say, so justification is a legal standing before God owing to a spiritual union with Jesus, which is owing to faith alone. You don't work yourself into or perform your way into the standing with God. He declares you to be perfect because of your union with Christ, and that happens by faith alone. Like that. Sanctification is the act of God by which he, through his spirit and his word, in conforming you little by little or in big steps... I like the image of, I've heard before people talk about this phrase, if you want to go to school, you got to get on the bus, okay? Now, not all of us take the bus to school, but let's pretend for a minute we did. Some of you are like, we don't even go to school. We're at school. We live at school. All these homeschool kids are like, we live there. What are you talking about? This, even every day, right? And then, and then when you were done, it was still uphill on the way back, right? Um. The thing is, you think about that going to school picture, the reality is for some people, the going to school, they got on the bus, they went to school. Some people, they, they didn't get on the bus to go to school, they got with their parents, their parents drove really fast. Man, they're flying, right? Some people, they're, they're like walking uphill in the snow, right? Some people are like crawling on the ground, you know, and I like the illustration of thinking about what, what, what is this, this Christian walk of sanctification look like? As we're headed towards holiness ourselves, being perfected in Christ, we've been declared legally that way, 
but this process, it looks very different for everybody. That's become a very important thing to me for me as a pastor because that when you when you just grab a hold of that idea, it increases your patience to know that hey, some people that's it's a slow process, right? But we, we ought not to give up hope that God is still doing something. Um, some people, it's like they get up, they fall down, they get up, they fall down, they get up, they fall down. They, and I love the fact that they got up again. That gives me hope. And in fact, there's hope in the fact that they still have breath in their lungs. We think about that with our friend um, Jeff Lee, right? How many years now we've been praying for him and his struggle with, yeah, you guys don't know him, uh, his struggle with alcoholism. Uh, he's been in the ICU multiple times, death's door. Thought he was going to die. The doctor said he's not going to make it. Um, going in and seeing he's gone, as far as I can tell. And he wakes up. He's back at rehab now. <laughs> I've been texting my mom, texting me every once in a while, reading his Bible, and I'm like, there's still hope. We, we don't have to give up hope. His, his progress, it's so, we, we can't see the heart, we can't see in there, but his progress looks to me like... <sighs> Right? And so we pray for him. We say, Lord, just keep, keep that work going. Why does God, why do you guys think God doesn't always do it in the same speed? That's a trick question because I don't have an answer to that. I'd love to know. Why? Why isn't it just a set rate? I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. They don't do much bad, but there's others that, you know, they get stuck into it, and I think part of the reason why it's such a hard time now is because ultimately that glorifies God and He builds His kingdom mm-hmm. um, in both instances, but in different ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember, uh, you guys remember the movie Rudy, the football movie? Right, never gets in, never gets in. He finally was at that, like that last game of a particular, he gets in and like he's never really played. And I, I don't remember that, it's been like 20 years since I've seen it. But this guy, Rudy, it's based on a true story, playing for the Notre Dame football team. He, he gets in and he, I don't remember if he makes a touchdown or sacks the quarterback. Does he remember which one it is? I think he sacks the quarterback. Like he goes in and he did, but like, and the crowd, they just, the crowd went, because they knew this kid, he had worked to just make the team every year. And he finally gets, when he gets in, he actually does this amazing thing. And I think that there's a similarity to what Josh is saying in, in these sorts of things. Sometimes it's, God is so glorified in the one that it's taken this long process and that victory, when it finally comes, you're like, yes, Right? I think it could be a lot like that. Ultimately, we know that in some way that's true, that all timing and victories points to the glory of God. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that, that's where we get into things that noodle my, my brain up, Right? Because on the one hand, if somebody says, like, if I have a success, I go, that was all God. If I have a failure, I go, that was all me. (laughs) 
Now, and they're in my brain, I'm going, how can both the, but the, the word is clear. It, that's the way it teaches us, right? Somehow, in the sovereign mind of God, that both things are at play, right? Yeah. Change him. Yeah. But we still have the will, the, the choice. Mm -hmm. It's not God saying you're automatically sanctified in a certain amount of time. That, that kind of is like a robot. Yeah. That's why I love that verse, because it kind of unites both those things, that work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's a sense where you hear a lot, in fact, Paul the Apostle multiple times says, keep at it, lest you end up not part, like, he talks about this salvation thing, like, almost like it was, everything was depending on us keeping at it. But then in the same conversations, he'll say that, but then he'll say, but God did it. Right? And they're both true. They're both true. I, I don't know how those, those ends fully tie together. That's going to be on the list of my top questions when I get to heaven. Like how, he, and I don't know if he'll even tell me then, but then I'll move to the ones I think he might. Was it really a whale or was it a big fish with Jonah? Which one was it? I want to know. Was he in there? What was that like? That had to have been gross. How did he breathe? What, you know. That's the weird questions I'm going to ask. I'm also going to ask about the feeding of the 5,000. I want to. I want to know. Like when, he, when was the bread breaking, and it was multiplying while you broke it, or did did you put it like a piece of bread in there, and the disciples like this is only one piece, and he looks away, he looks back, and it's full. I mean, what did what did that look like? I mean, haven't you ever wondered those things? Like, what? How did he do those things? Okay, that's off topic. All right, so let's take a look at the where does this come from? Um, this first one and. I, was, I could just do a couple of these verses, but I just wanted to do the whole thing. Romans 3, 20 through 28. I'm just going to read through it. I'm going to read through it nice and slow. I want you to just, just soak in these words of Paul the Apostle. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified, declared righteous, in his sight. So by works of the law, by doing, no human being will be declared righteous in his sight. Since through the law actually comes a knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Now, the but now means now that we have this mystery of Christ revealed, right? When I say mystery, it's not like the Hardy Boys, right? Mystery as in there were things that in the Old Testament were shadowy, we weren't clear on. And so when the Bible talks about a mystery being revealed, it's that there's some things that we weren't, didn't know quite sure. But now, see, Christ has been revealed, the, the living word. And so there's things that used to be this, 
ah, what's this temple thing about? What is this animal sacrifice about? What's all these things about? It seemed like there was more to it, and then we get to Christ, and it's fully revealed, okay? But now, the, but now, now that we know we got the big picture, the righteousness of God has been manifested, made reality apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, so they're, they're pointing to it. The righteousness of God, and this is what it is, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And we know that this goes all the way back. Even those people that didn't have the full picture of this, it ultimately, how was Abraham saved? By the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Right? Paul actually talks about that. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned, every single one of us, and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace, unmerited favor, unmerited goodness to us. No, you didn't do anything to get this by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, and Paul's talked about that word before, by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Now, that passed over former sins doesn't mean he was like, I'm letting everybody off the hook in the Old Testament. It's that that was, he bore with that because of what was coming in Christ, right? So he, the passing over isn't passing over in the sense of like, I'm going to let all those people get off the hook. It's that I'm not going to destroy them because what's coming down here, okay? It was to show, that happened, was to show his righteousness at the present time, right? Now we can look back and we see what a righteous God we have so that he might be just so God is righteous and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. I, I, that, before I move on, that, that little phrase right there is amazing because you think when, when Moses asked God, could you reveal yourself to me, right? And what's God do? He puts, hides him in the cleft of the rock and says, I'll let you see my backside, right? Which I, I think is humorous. I'm going to let you see this. I can't let you see me face to face, but you can get a trailing glimpse of me. But when he does that, he declares something. So part of God revealing himself included words spoken. And he talks about his mercy, forgiving sin to thousands, right? But then what does he do at the end of this statement of who he is? He says, but I will not let the wicked go unpunished. In Christ, this all becomes a possibility. How can he be one who forgives but doesn't let the wicked go unpunished? How can those two things unite? They unite in Christ, on the cross. Christ bore the penalty of our sin. And so God can remain a just, righteous judge, but also a justifier of the ones who have faith, not of the people who deserve it, right? That's awesome, isn't it? It is. Um, then what becomes of our boasting? What becomes of our boasting? Well, you know what it says, but what, what becomes of our boasting? It's destroyed, isn't it? I mean, we like to boast, don't we? Not all of us very much, but sometimes we do. If there's something we're good at, we'll let you know, don't we? <laughs> That's true, isn't it? Like, yeah, I don't like to boast, but, uh, you're boasting in that moment, aren't you? <laughs> not me. I'm not a boaster. <laughs> You're boasting. Okay. 
What becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith, and here's that definition, by faith apart from the works of the law. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Oh, um, that's the next passage. I'm sorry, 28. Then, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Okay, so there's justification. Where do we get that from? There's some other justification verses there I have on your handout if you want to look at them. Romans 5, 17, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Galatians. There's three different ones in Galatians. I want to move to the sanctification portion, okay? And uh, I had this. You already saw the beginning of it. This is where it gets a little bit tough because I want you to listen carefully to this first passage and how it sounds like sanctification is happening in time. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay. That's where that justification is necessary, right? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Past tense. Right? This, this gets really important in understanding God's salvation. Okay? The were some of you. We tend to, in our culture, forget the were in two ways. One, we tend to forget it when we're here and we think of those out there, them, right? But the church ought to be made up of a bunch of people who were, right? And there's nothing wrong. That's, that's a glorious thing in the eyes of God. And pray for those. I'm going to get to that later when we talk about prayer in the service this morning. Praying for, instead of just going, pray for those people. They're prime candidates. Prime candidates. In fact, if you really follow the, the flow of Scripture, the people who are more prime candidates for awesome people of God are not the ones that already have their act together. It's that list. This is why, right, we, re we rejoice in that. We rejoice in that here. Um, such were some of you. But then notice it says here, but you were washed, you were, there's the word, sanctified. So you're going to find that when you look at the word sanctified in the scriptures, that you find sometimes it's used in this past tense, like kind of the way justification is used, a thing that happened. You were sanctified, you were justified, right? Like it happened. But then you also find places where it talks about how it's still happening. And so we have to hold those things together, as we do with so many scriptures. say, well, how, does, how do these things work? In some way, we were set apart. But that being set apart is something that continues on through the rest of our lives. Right? Um, let me give you a verse that kind of talks about that side of it. Hebrews 10. Um, but when Christ had offered for all time... Again, this... You think about Abraham. You think all the way back to Adam, right? When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected, past tense, he has perfected for all time those who are 
being sanctified. He's you could say he's sanctified those who are being sanctified, or you could say he's perfected those who are being perfected. That's a great picture, isn't it? He's perfected those who are being perfected. Um, I'd love to get into a conversation. Um, one of the, I think one of the most important things we can talk about is what do you do when you see someone who doesn't seem to be following that but claims that they have been? There, there's some things that we need to talk about when we get to those situations, Right? One of, the, one of the ways that we see this justification is by seeing that sanctification, right? Looking for it. But then again, I had to balance that, right? Because when we go back to what I said at the beginning, does the, is the pace always the same? No. Ugh, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing as a pastor when we're called to hold people accountable, to come with great patience, but also know when's the time that you say, I need to talk to you about something, Right? We need to talk about this. I'm seeing, and honestly, my concern as a pastor, like you guys have probably heard of church discipline before, my concern as a pastor in church discipline, honestly, is twofold. One, I want as much as possible to work to trying to have the visible people of God represent the actual people of God, right? The invisible church to look like the visible church as much as possible. But number two, I just have a great concern for people's salvation it's possible as we know from matthew 7 that there are going to be people who said lord did we not and he's going to say depart from me i never knew you there's going to be people that think they are but aren't that's a scary thing to me and so you have to work through scriptures to figure out what what passages can we go to to try to determine like you can't open up and see the heart i can't i can't do that on somebody and so in one sense they're right only god will judge and what they mean by that, the right part, is that only God sees what's in here. But the reality is, what comes out of the heart is all the things that we do. Right? Which means when you do something and you go, that wasn't me. That's not true. No, the problem is that was you. You just let some of you come out. Right? Some of you just spilled out. We got to see the real you. Nice, nice you is probably the fake you. Right? The real you is the you that when you get bumped and something spills out, that's you, right? And so we have to look at those things. That's why I think tribulation and trial is so essential because when we go through those things, the real stuff comes out. And we find that many of us are just full of it, <laughs> right? All right. Um, I want to get to, and then I'll have, we'll have some discussion. Um, it was, th- this one was tough for me for two reasons. One, because... Uh, um, it feels very textbook when I'm talking about justification and sanctification. It feels kind of textbook with me, um, just in my preparation, trying to. And so I hope, hopefully, we'll have some discussion when we get to this last question. Why does Why does it matter? Um, but uh, also, since Paul's not here, I'm doing both. I was like, okay, I got to do both. And my my mind's thinking about one and then back to the other, and I was kind of going back and forth. I should have just done one at a time. Um, <clears throat> but let's take a look at why does it matter. I don't think I have a slide for this. Um, I think I put on your paper. What do I have on your paper there? If anybody that has one of the papers. Why does it, right underneath it, is there anything underneath of it? Don't get this backwards. There it is. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't remember if I put it on there or not. Every religion on the planet gets these things backwards. Sanctification and justification. I would argue. 
obviously, when I say every, I'm speaking generally. <laughs> I haven't examined every single one. But I think that that's ultimately also the, our own patterns of behavior. We tend to get this backwards. I'll give, you, I'll give you an example, then you guys see if you can come up with some other examples. I'll give you one example that used to plague me all the time, still does, I'm sure, in little ways, and I don't even realize it. Let's say I needed to pray about something. For example, in my early marriage, we had a car that broke down all of the time. You guys remember. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it feels that way. I re- my, you can ask my dad. Just, just mention, go to my dad later and say, mention to him, tell me about Matt and alternators. <laughs> I have had so many alternators die. My, that one car we had for the longest time, I, like four alternators. I'd be fine, I'd drive them for like three, and they'd die. It's crazy is, I gave that, or I don't remember if I sold it to Ashley for a while, but you had that car, the little red Corsica. Alternator, no problems the whole time. We eventually got it back so the kids could have it. Alternator went out. <laughs> we had cars that, uh, I, I've had this habit of buying all my cars off my dad because I know they were taken care of, and so I buy his, his, he'd have a car, never have a problem the whole time. I get it, that gray van. Get that gray, we got that gray van, bought that gray van off you guys. Alternator went out. Never had, that's, you kidding me? I mean, I got to be a pro at changing. But I'll tell you, there, it got me to the point where there was times where I was just, I'd fix it, and I would go to sit down in the car. Is it going to work? Because I'm not much of a mechanic. I'm, I kind of like, it's like a puzzle. I just figure out, how can I get it apart, put it back together? And you get that first time, if you've ever worked on a car and you think you have everything put back together, and you're like, I don't think there was any bolts left over. You know, I th- every, everything I took out is back in, I think. And, you, and right before you turn that key, if you're like me, you pray. <laughs> Lord, please. Right? Now, there's also times in connection with my car that I would just pray. I'd get in the car. I, I had to go to work. And I'm like, I just fixed it last week. And then, like, for the next three weeks, I'd be like, is it going to make it? Right? Or there would be times where it would just die in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, oh, I want to pray. Or sometimes I'd have it back, and I'm getting ready to work on it. I'm like, I don't even know what's wrong yet. It's probably the alternator, but I don't know yet. Um, and you, you want to pray. And I found at work in me this false logic. I wanted to come before God. Right? But I knew my own unrighteousness. Anybody ever been like that? And, and I would hesitate. And then I would do this thing. Tell me if any of you do this. Now, there's a good version of this, and then there's a bad version of this. The bad version is, in my hesitation, I knew my unrighteousness, and I, I convinced myself I don't have any right to come before God because I am unjust. I wouldn't say those words in my head, but that's the inner dialogue. And then what did I do? I would, I would then try to justify myself in the only way that I could. I'm sorry. I'm 
I'm sorry for this, I'm sorry for this, I'm sorry for this, I'm sorry for this. Try to think of all the things I haven't said I'm sorry about. But the reality was, some of those times when I was doing that, you know exactly what I was doing? I was try- I got it backwards. I was trying to make myself just in a pitiful way. Does that work at all? Like even with your kids? <laughs> I need to ask you for something. <laughs> but before I do, I'm really sorry. And you look beautiful today. <laughs> you know? uh, it's so pitiful. But, but, that's exact, but I found that these truths are what started to affect my mind, this justification, sanctification. When I started grappling with justification, I started realizing that, okay, there's a place for saying, Lord, I want to confess to you what I've done, but that cannot be me trying to get back in good standing with you. In fact, if I'm doing that, Lord, forgive me of that lie. I'm sorry, Lord, change my mind and change my heart. And then I would do some really audacious things that really helped me get over that bump. I would have times where I knew... I hadn't had time. In fact, maybe you've done this before. You want to ask about something, but you've been bad, and then you go, you, you feel like, have you ever felt like you needed to wait like three days before you can really start praying to God again? I started going, you know what? I'm not going to wait. I was bad this morning, but I'm going to come to you right now. Confess my sin, not to earn righteousness, but because I'm believing this thing about Jesus, that I'm righteous in your sight. Oh, Father. And I would just boldly enter into the throne. And it felt audacious. It felt just brash. Like, who am I? Who am I to do this? I mean, it's easy to do that if I've been, like, been really good. Right? But when you've had a bad week, maybe you haven't been reading your Bible, you haven't been doing this, or maybe there's been some other things you've been doing, like to boldly enter into the throne room of grace to seek his mercy and his grace to help in time of need. When you're, when you're doing that, it, your flesh can't stand it and reviles against it, right? But it's, those, I think, are some of the greatest, boldest acts of faith as you say, I have no right to do this other than Christ. I don't have one little ounce of my own righteousness in this moment. Lord, I'm gonna come to you right now. I think, for me, that's one of the reasons why this matters. That even though I knew the words technically, I kept getting them backwards in my life. Does that make sense? Okay. Why else do you guys think this matters? This is where I open up for discussion. Yeah. No, what I'm saying is that my whole thought process was wrong. So don't look at anything that I was thinking as that was right. I was getting it backwards, and I was thinking ultimately I could justify myself by asking God forgiveness. That's ultimately what I was doing in my head. Yes, it's settled. Yeah. Yeah. It's a growth, it's that growth process, right? Yeah. yeah. But that's why I, it was important to me because I would get it backwards in my head, wrongly. I was getting it backwards in my head and, and forgetting that I was declared already righteous before God. 
Like when you come to God in prayer, that boldness that we have is not because I've been good, not because of my sanctification. My boldness before God is because of my justification all in Christ, right? I don't have a better standing. Do you have a better standing in God the, the more longer you've been a Christian? No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, that's not. But in my head, that's what I found at work in my head. I kept getting that backwards, and I kept thinking, if I'd been good, I was more favorable before God. And it just wasn't true. Does that make more sense now? Okay. Anybody else? Questions, thoughts? I'm, if not, I'm going to wrap up today early enough so I don't have to have my dad in the back going. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Anybody else thoughts on this? Comments? Questions? Anything? Hmm. No, that, that's, a, that's actually a great question. When, and that's indirectly connected to this because there's, for example, I know that there's that, but there's also the one that I always think of is um, if you regard sin in your heart, the Lord will not hear you. Um, there, there is in some way a relational element that's at play, but that is part of the sanctification process. What I can't answer is... Well, I can answer this. I know that in the righteousness of Christ, that is a once and for all settled act, right? As I continue down my Christian life, if I sin here, on the one hand, I don't need forgiveness. I've been forgiven. I think uh, the best illustration I've ever heard was um, Peter, who, when Jesus goes to wash the disciples' feet, Peter's like, oh, no, Lord, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. And then what's Peter do? Because we love Peter. (laughs) Well, then wash everything, (laughs) right? Uh, Love that. And what does Jesus say? He says, you've already been cleansed. You've already been washed. And I think that's a great mental picture of what the Christian life, we've been washed, we've been sanctified in one sense. But as we go through this life, we're still getting the dirt on the feet. And in some, in some way, there's that regular... Oh, man, he's getting ready to do it to me. In some way, there's uh, that regular... And that's why I think in the Lord's Prayer, we talked about this two weeks ago. In the Lord's Prayer, you see um, Jesus, when he, his disciples say, teach us to pray, he actually says, um, Lord, forgive us our trespasses, forgive, forgive us our debts. So there's, in some way, as Christians, we're in that relational element with Christ, with the Father, we're saying, Lord, here's what I've done. But what we can't do where it gets bad is when we, when we think that his favor for me, right, or even the ability to go to him is based on how good we've been. Do I think that sin can be a barrier in my relational element? Uh, yeah, but it would be the same thing as with you know, one of my sons, who both my sons are going to be here today. Um, if, if one of them had you know, done something wrong and they just wanted to go back to life as normal without addressing it, There'd be something there. Now, he's still my kid. And at any time, if he comes to me, he can say, I mean, I, it's, it's ready and waiting. I'm ready and waiting. 
but relationally, like when he starts talking to me, sometimes I'm going to go, hold up one second. <laughs> Remember yesterday when I told you to do this and you didn't do it, and I said that was wrong, and you, you know, and then I'm going to have to punish you, and then you know, remember that? Yeah. Remember, remember what happened after that? Well, you know, then you go, well. Did you ever say, did you ever even address or anything? Did you ever say, gosh, I'm sorry. Or especially like when it was with their mom. Have you, I mean, that, that, that's the stuff that really got me irate. And I'd be like, have you told your mom you're sorry? You know? Have you even done anything about, you know, we're not good yet. <laughs> He's still my son. <laughs> right? But there's, we need to address something real quick here. For this to grow. Right? I don't know if that helps. Yeah. Yeah. Mhm. I t- I totally hear you and I if I were to offer a thought on that I would just say in one sense embrace that but then go to the father because there, there's a, in fact, I, I, I hate, I hate it when I know what I've studied for the sermon, and I'm, I'm like, there's parts of it I've, I'm like, I want to not, but there, there's a, in the sermon today, there's going to be a word where it talks about this guy going, and the ESV translates it, impudence. Um, he goes to this guy's house and knocks, and Jesus is talking about this is how we're to go, and impudence could sound like disrespect, but the word actually means shameless boldness. There's an audacity to our going to the Father, you know? And I'm going to be real honest and personal. I, I have found that when, I, when I've struggled with sin in my life, the, the biggest leaps of growth I had of defeating that was not by my willpower of like, I'm, okay, I can never do this again. The biggest steps of growth I ever had was when I immediately was like, okay, Father, and went right to him and confess, like just immediately, I just, like if it was seconds away, I, I refused to do penance, and you just go to the Father, and it was embarrassing and humbling, but I found that when that, with that audacity, that bold to come before the Father, seeking restoration immediately, I found the next time I was tempted to do that particular thing, that resonated more with me, and his forgiveness that he's going to do over my desire to do whatever sin that was. Um, that's just a personal thought. And, you know, I, I find it important that I ask forgiveness because if I go to the Lord and I say, I'm sorry, and it's, I know this sounds just like words, but I'm sorry. I can be sorry for a lot of reasons, and I can make all kinds of excuses in the back of my head while I'm confessing this. Mm-hmm. And when I say, Father, will you forgive me? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to stop because uh, 